Once a week, I meet a good friend of mine for lunch down in Hanalei, and we talk about job and life and anything that really comes to mind. And during this uh, one particular day, I was telling my friend about this podcast and my ideas that I had for it, some topics I had on the top of my mind. And we just started talking about things. And next thing you know, I'm basically talking myself out of doing it. It's a very interesting discussion because the more I talked about it, the more I realized I just don't have time to do this, yet I am driven to do it. And I just looked at my friend straight in the eyes and I said, why in the world am I doing this anyway? feeling completely befuddled, just sitting there thinking, is this some thing where I need to have my voice out in public constantly? A podcast? Do I seek fame? What is it about me? What is driving me? And it's easy to get really negative and think it's some sort of validation, some sort of itch I need to scratch. Diving into your own psychology as to well, why you're doing things like this. Well, the conversation ended well. My friend pulled me out of the pit of self-loathing, if you will, and basically said, I don't think you have a choice. This is a creative inspiration. Follow it. You have a muse speaking in your ear, telling you to make a podcast, so go with it. People seem to like it. And I said, all right. But the interesting thing for me is when I drove home, I thought, you know, is it okay if I wanted to be famous? What if I do want to be famous? What of it? And then all of a sudden, I just started thinking, you know, a lot of people seek fame or notoriety as a way to further themselves in their career. And so, with this podcast, that is exactly what we're going to focus on. Abraham Lincoln. That's John Sheehan, a Microsoft developer who is going to be our first storyteller today. And the first question I asked him is to tell me somebody who he thinks is famous. Quick, tell me the first name that pops in your head. Abraham Lincoln was it. Which, of course, leads to the obvious question, why Abraham Lincoln? Uh, for achieving great things, for making a difference and being recognized for the, the difference he imparted on the world. So I'll admit it. I was a little bit curious uh, as to the answer of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, when you ask someone, especially someone John's age, and he's in his 20s, when you ask someone, name someone famous, you really just don't expect Abraham Lincoln. Maybe David Beckham, Lady Gaga, if you're into that kind of thing. Tom Cruise, as our later storyteller will bring up. But all right, let's roll with Lincoln. You know, in fact, the more I think about it, the more I think the choice of Lincoln is really appropriate. Um, because it really hits at kind of what I'm driving at today with this podcast. And, you know, the idea that is someone driven by some sort of sense of destiny, or are they driven by something internal to be famous for notoriety, validation? So I asked John, do you think Lincoln wanted to be famous? Uh, I imagine he had some idea of the importance of it. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done what he did, but probably didn't completely understand the full significance of it. Okay, but let's put this in historical perspective. I mean, Lincoln was a politician, and they have to pay attention to the reputation and their fame. But do you think that Lincoln was sort of driven to be a politician because he wanted to do good things? I would hope that's what a politician would want to do. I mean, that was really 
the whole thing behind me running for mayor is that I really wasn't running against the other people. Yes, you heard exactly right. John ran for mayor. Not only did he run for mayor, which I guess isn't that extraordinary of a thing to do, he ran for mayor when he was 21. No, it wasn't a joke. He wanted to win. It was either you agreed with my philosophy, which was clearly stated as basically having no philosophy and trying to do the right thing, using common sense, that sort of thing, or you didn't. And if you didn't, you didn't vote for me. And I was content with that. not knowing a single thing about any of the issues and took every question as it came. I honestly had no idea what they were going to ask me. With that, when I didn't know the answer, I said, I don't know. And a couple times uh, I got to answer first and the incumbent had to agree with me because there was no other choice. It was the logical answer. And I could see it in his eyes that it killed him to have to agree with me because I clearly had no idea what I was talking about. I think the incumbent knew there was no chance that he was going to lose. Um, it was a three-candidate race, and actually only me and the incumbent showed up at the debate. The third candidate didn't show up, and he still beat me. But um, I think he was more worried about a dilution of votes amongst the three candidates than actually taking me seriously and me beating him outright. So, John, tell me, if you would have actually won the election for mayor, would you have been surprised? taking it extremely seriously like it was a, a 25,000 person city there's it's not like a, it wasn't a joke to me it wasn't a laughing matter I would have invested every bit of energy I had into it and I would have done as good, good a job as I possibly could it's safe to say that John is an ambitious young man. But in talking to him, you quickly begin to understand he's not ambitious in a slimy way. He doesn't want to just climb the social ladder just to climb it. He actually wants to do good things. He's sort of driven by this idea that he can, well, he can be Abraham Lincoln. So this is a bit of a chicken and egg where if you decide that you want to do good things, if you want to be Abraham Lincoln, then, well, eventually people will notice you and it will be sort of a byproduct of who you are and what you value. On the other hand, if you want to do good things, sometimes you have to go out of your way to get noticed. You have to put your name out there. You have to run for mayor. So then you could do good things and it will affect more people. The question is, which do you choose? How do you go about this? That's what I asked John. Did you ever sit down over the, you know, when, when you started your career and kind of look ahead and say, you know, if I have a certain amount of notoriety, if I have a certain amount of celebrity, then these other things will fall into place. Maybe I'll get more work. Um, maybe... Maybe I'll meet some chicks. I don't know. Whatever your deal is. I think that's pretty accurate. Like, I fight with it all the time, right? Like, sometimes I, like, I'm obsessed with my Twitter followers, right? Because it's like the one metric to almost determine how popular you are. Like, in high school, 
you can be popular, but there's no number on it, right? So I'm obsessed with Twitter followers to the point of narcissism, which I'm okay to freely admit. But at the same time, I struggle with it. I don't feel like I've done anything to warrant having a thousand Twitter followers other than just doing what I think is interesting and working on what I think is interesting and being really loud about it. And that has pretty much got me to where I am on Twitter, which I don't even, and I don't even know if it's a legit number because of how Twitter works. At the end of 2008, I was trying to think, what did I want to do for 2009? I had a good job. Um, you know, I was doing, I thought, somewhat interesting work, but I wanted to like, I saw that I had like 120 Twitter followers and I'm like, I want to raise my profile. I want to have more of a say in what's going on. Um, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to be an MVP at the end of 2009. So John's going about this the second way, if you will, getting his name out there, becoming known. And the reasoning is sound. If you get your name out there, people recognize you, you build your reputation, then you're able to do some cool things to really help people, to really impact people's lives. But that requires a plan, some diligence. Kind of requires sitting down, thinking it out. How am I going to go about building my reputation? I said, at the end of 2009, I'm going to have 52 blog posts this year. I'm going to start at least one open source project. I'm going to... I was going to have 500 Twitter followers, even though I, that was such a long shot at the time that I really had no idea how that would happen. I basically had these goals to become an MVP because in the six-person company I was working for, if I didn't start increasing my value outside the company, I'd already maximized my value inside the company. So in order to really make any more headway, I had to increase my value outside the company. So I set a, all these goals and I, I started at it and I blogged once a week for like three months before that started tailing off. Um, I started tweeting constantly. I learned that the more I tweeted, the more followers I got. Instead of like, I thought it would always be the opposite. You know, if you had higher value tweets, you would get more followers. But no, it didn't matter. Every time I said something, I'd get more followers. Every time I said something, I had a higher chance of being retweeted by Hanselman or Spolsky. Or, and then it just kept shooting up. So I just got louder and louder. That's one way to do it. Get your voice out there and basically demand to be heard. But John didn't just leave it to Twitter, decided that uh, rather than just talking a lot, maybe he should actually do something as well. Um, I eventually had this idea for a couple different open source projects, the jQuery snippets, code snippets project. Um, Rest Sharp eventually came later in the year. Um, I updated my .NET cheat sheets on my blog, which had been the most popular, the reason anybody knew who I was at all. Um, were these cheat sheets that I've been putting on my blog for a couple years. So I pretty much just put all my free time energy into, into that. And it was a very conscious goal of being an MVP. At the end of the year, I didn't get MVP. It was, it was a little disappointing at the time, but what value would that have had, right? 
It would just would have been a title, something to put in your Twitter bio. There's no output behind that. There's not. There's nothing. I mean, sure, there's like these projects that people are kind of using, but there's nothing really of any greater value, really. So John's plan fell just a bit short. He managed to get his posts out, which is good, and he got his Twitter followers, but he fell short of earning the MVP badge. Now, for listeners out there who are not Microsoft developers and you're wondering what the heck is an MVP, it's an award given to you uh, by Microsoft uh, for doing well various community service efforts. Well, things like writing blog posts, tutorials, helping people out, giving speeches at conferences, and so on. A lot of folks believe that getting an MVP is a necessary first step to elevating your career. And the question is, elevating to what? We're going to talk more about that later on. So John's plan went a little bit awry, not that big of a deal, but the ultimate goal, being an MVP, wasn't reached. So now what? Um, and so I wrote in my year, year 2009 uh, year in review blog post at the beginning of this year that I was changing course, that I didn't care anymore about what I said or anymore. It was all going to be about output. Like, you will know me for the things that I make, not for the things that I say. I've actually really sucked at it, <laughs> in a way. I, I didn't do the things that I wanted to do at the time um, to produce that output. Yeah, so I think it's just a step. And I hadn't really ever made yearly plans until these past two years. Um, I think age is starting to change my outlook on things a little bit you know I see years fly by faster and feel like I'm wasting time whereas when I was younger I didn't care about that so much um, so the plans have been conscious recently but that's pretty much a new development I'm 28 I'll be 29 in a month I started my first business when I was uh, between 14 and 15 I sold shareware then I did tech support uh, I mean my first shareware app was a Visual Basic 3 fake error message. It got in PC computing, PC magazine. I mean, so I've been doing it a long time. So while I'm young, I feel like I'm seasoned in a way. Um, I met every goal that year except for the blog posts. I did like 40. I missed it by 12. Um, I ended up speaking at one user group. I did a breakout session, ad hoc session at jQuery conference, which was like totally spur of the moment and with people I had no idea how it was going to be received. Um, I ended up doing the two open source projects. ResSharp actually ended up sort of getting popular. Um, yeah, the Twitter followers was like 600 or something by the end of the year. So I actually did meet all the goals. And all this stuff actually turned into another opportunity that I didn't even see coming which is my current job at Twilio as a developer evangelist. That was sort of the curveball that came after my year in review blog post was I'm going to create, you know, a startup and I'm going to really do it this year. Well, the Twilio opportunity came along and I couldn't not jump at it. It was really an opportunity too good to pass up. Well, I guess that's what happens when you make plans. Reality comes along and changes things as reality tends to do, but for better or for worse. In John's case, he ended up at a job, a company called Twilio, which he seems to be pretty happy in. But does this change his goal, his end goal? I mean, so far we've only heard it's getting an MVP, but 
What about after that? I want to build something great. And I don't know what that is yet. And I have lots of ideas that flame out, lots of parks, domains. And um, eventually, I want to build something great. So short of that, which is sort of a, a daunting goal, right? Like, go build something great that people's moms want to use, that reaches the mainstream, you know, Twitter level. Yeah, don't we all, I think. I mean, every time we start building an application, as developers, I'm sure in the back of our mind is the idea, this could be huge. Better yet, with open source. I mean, this is where your passion goes. And if others share your passion or see your idea, well, sure, this thing could be huge, a game changer. But that brings me back to Abraham Lincoln. I mean, what would Lincoln do if he was alive today? Would he be a politician? enter the political system and hopefully pass some sort of legislation that changes people's lives? Or would he create a startup? Hopefully affect people through technology, as John says, getting to Twitter level. I always saw it as, I'm going to build an audience doing the stuff that I know now and contributing to the community that I'm a part of so that when it comes time to start something, I will have people to tell about it. And I didn't solely try to build my Twitter followers just to have people to sell something to, but to, you know, to get feedback from, or to, you know, bounce ideas off of, or meet new people that might be able to contribute to it. So it wasn't ever like, I'm building an audience to sell to, is, is that if I have this group of people that I am a part of and that I talk with, this could be, you know, this is gonna be valuable in the future like Stack Overflow, right? If it wasn't Joel and Jeff, would Stack Overflow have been popular? No, you build the audience first, and then you, 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 I hate saying the word leverage it. I wasn't building an audience to leverage it. I was building it because I thought that would be a valuable thing to be a part of later on. I anticipate that then I will be running my own thing, whatever that is. Um, and I will hopefully look back on what I'm doing now and say, yeah, that was the right path to take to get where I am now. But if it wasn't, it doesn't matter, right? It's it's a sunk cost. The past is past. You can't change it. And it really only, I mean, without getting too cliche, it really, there's nothing you can do about it. So I have this joke with my wife where I say, live forward, right? Like, just keep your head forward. Just live that way. And it's always, you know, it's like my fake cliche, but I actually really believe it, right? Like, I can't deal with what happened my last failure. It, it's in the past. I learned from it. It's time to move on and go forward. John Sheehan has a blog up at john-sheehan.com. You can read about his plans for the future, or you could follow him on Twitter with the Twitter handle, John Sheehan. I'm sure he would appreciate it.
Well, it's time for our next storyteller to come on. Someone that you will probably recognize almost immediately. Tom, Tom Cruise. I wish. No, that voice belongs to none other than Scott Hanselman, a good friend of mine, uh, who I thought could add some valuable perspective to this show. Scott is well-known if you're a Microsoft developer. In fact, he's more than well-known. He pretty much, in my eyes, is famous. So we started out the exact same way. I asked him, who do you think is famous? And what do you think about them being famous? When you say, tell me what famous means to you, I imagine Tom Cruise walking into Safeway and being unable to buy watermelon. And I think to myself, wow, you're Tom Cruise. And he's like, dude, I'm just trying to buy some watermelon. Please let me and my family buy some fresh fruit. And he is and he is not allowed to because of his the tragedy of his fame. So then he sits in his house with like his handler and and his handlers you know, and he's like, Oh man, uh I don't know, Leon, whatever his handler's name is, Leon, I need some freaking watermelon and they won't let me the people they won't let me let me have it will you go and get it for me and then then you just think about the tragedy of leon's life because now he's like the guy who gets watermelon for tom cruise so this line of questioning must be pretty obvious to people out there who like to play interesting psychological party games you ask somebody hey who do you think is famous and why do you think they're famous do you think they wanted to be famous and those answers usually tend to be based on their own perspectives on fame and notoriety so I asked Scott, do you think Tom Cruise wanted to be famous? Well, he must have, right? I mean, he people who are famous or people who make a million dollars have a personality. And I'm always I'm always lamenting, like, why don't I have my million dollars? Because I will totally quit my job and never work again, and you'll never see me, and I'll disappear. And whenever I tell that to people, they're like, wow, well, because you said that, you will never make a million dollars. famous then i'll totally like drop out and i'll you know i'll i'll make my one movie and i'll leave like i think everyone but julia roberts i think is that, that rule applies famous people they must want it because if they didn't it would never have happened like they went out and they sought it actively so for those of you who don't know who scott hanselman is he is a prominent figure a community pm at microsoft and uh, he writes books He's got a blog that is followed by 60,000 people, 25,000 Twitter followers. So, you know, he's relatively famous in our little microcosm of the development world, especially in the Microsoft world. So, you know, I asked him, what do you think about fame? Do you think you're famous? I, I have minor notoriety in a vertical market and maybe three three days a year when I'm at a conference where other nerds come to make, you know, I, I'm a niche badass, but very niche. Oh, I, I got recognized on the bus yesterday. I was on the bus and, and a guy got on the, on the, uh, the bus and he's like, I know you like accusatory. I know you. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I, what do you say to that? You know? And then the bus driver is driving and then looking back at me and she says, who are you? And I'm like, you really need to focus on driving right now. She's like, but you're somebody. And I, well, I'm, yeah, I'm me. And she says, no, but you're somebody because that guy said. 
that guy who just got off the bus said, "You, I know you, so I want to know who you are. And I just said, well, I'm a teacher. And she's like, oh, what do you teach? And I said, I teach programming. Really? You're a famous teacher? What is that? Who's a famous teacher? I'm like, okay, there's no way I'm going to win this. Let me off at the next corner. I'm always interested when talking to famous people or people with a certain degree of notoriety, whether it's just in our industry or anywhere. The thing I'm most curious about is when did you realize that you had something or when did you start to become famous? How did this all happen? Musical theater. No, I'm totally serious. I was going to say sparkle fingers, but I went with musical theater instead. Um, I was in My Fair Lady and I was in, yeah, I mean, Dude, high school drama, my friend. I was pickering in My Fair Lady. I sang, you did it, and all that stuff. Tonight, old man, you did it, you did it, you did it. You said that you would do it, and indeed you did. I thought that you would rue it, I doubted you do it. But now I must admit it, that succeed you did. You should get a better... Uh, I sing anything Jason Mraz does. I can sing better than him, because that's where my range is. And then uh, other than that... I don't usually I don't usually sing. High school theater is terrifying if you've ever had the nerve to try it. But what's more interesting is that in order to be in a play like My Fair Lady, you have to audition, which means you have to try. You have to want it. Yeah, you know, I had that I had I presume that I mean I mean I I would audition, right? Uh and I would get it. So then that presumably I'd had something. Otherwise well maybe I was the only guy auditioning, but um because I wasn't I was a programmer at that point, but I wasn't like truly in my heart of hearts, like built that way. But it was the N plus one effect, you know. It was like, oh, wait a second, I can make 10 people laugh? Oh, well, give me more people. So at some point early on, Scott realized he'd like to entertain people. He'd like to be up on stage. And later on in his life, when he started speaking, he noticed that he had an effect on people. He could make them laugh while at the same time teaching them something. In a way, he basically said, I can do this. So then it's like, oh, well, 10, 100. You know, it's like what they teach you in in, um, in public speaking in um, Toastmasters. It's like, yeah, one, you know, anything more than 10 is a lot. So like when I spoke at the Microsoft company meeting, there were 27,000 people or something. And, you know, it was very impressive pictures. And there's like panoramas and stitching of giant photographs and like, showing the cousins oh you spoke in front of 25,000 people that what how many how many people were there was that scary was it, it was more than 15 you know what I mean and, and it was n plus one right but 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 n plus one is nice because you get all that energy from all those people so I totally understand why people would want to be on TV because you get all that energy the only difference is you can't really turn it off This is like going to like an actor and saying, oh my God, you're so famous, you're amazing, da 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 And they're like, you know, I'm a character actor, you know, I'm all about the craft. And they're like, no, 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 but you were that guy in that movie. That So like people will put you in a bucket and say you're such and such. And you're like, no, 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 I'm, you know, I'm, I'm John Malkovich, I'm really, a, I'm a character actor. So people will say, oh, you're an entertainer, Scott, or you're a speaker, or oh, you're a blogger, or oh, you're whatever. And as much as I may protest, that, oh, I'm a teacher, which is what I think I am in my heart of hearts, they will 
still continue to put me in that bucket. So that's 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 point one. But I I'm a teacher. That's who I am, and I all of my best teachers in in school were not just entertainers and educators, but they were into edutainment. It's like when you show somebody um, liquid nitrogen for the first time, right? And there's just two kinds of people. There's like, oh, dude, we have to freeze a banana. And then there's, we totally have to freeze a banana and then smash it on the ground. And then there's the other people in the world which are like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then they walk away, right? So as a teacher, if I'm teaching something, whether it be C-sharp or whether it be the solar system, I can't imagine not teaching it in a dry way. So while everyone's saying like I'm an educator, I'm an educator, uh, whatever, I'm an entertainer, I'm thinking to myself, no, I'm a teacher who doesn't want to bore you. And if that makes me, if that somehow indirectly made me famous, totally secondary. I, I feel like I have something. I have the ability to synthesize large amounts of information and present it in a way that helps it more quickly get into someone else's head. And to be to be a teacher is to have some hubris, right? I mean, you don't become a teacher and think to yourself, "Man, I'm a crappy teacher," but I'll become a teacher. You must think that you are somehow a good teacher. So I I think that it's okay. Teachers have ego, is what I'm saying. I think I'm good at absorbing large amounts of information, processing it, and then regurgitating it in a way that makes it interesting and fun and whatnot. But like for example, I blogged about this thing called um, Instapaper. It's a, a workflow management thing for doing long format reading, and it is not well understood. People either get it or they don't, and I wanted to introduce it to a larger audience, so I blogged about it last week, and it is so freaking gratifying. Like you talk about like the, the energy from the crowd, it's not making them laugh. It's all those comments like, "Oh, this is what I was looking for. Oh, I saw that before and didn't get it, and now I did. I read something that you wrote, and then I got it." So whether it's a thousand people or ten thousand people that you're talking to, it's that person who walks up afterwards and says, "I had dismissed this topic, and now it's interesting. Thank you." In the moment, the the energy in the room is feeding me, but that energy in the room only lasts for the 60 minutes that I'm talking. I did a talk. In Amsterdam or Belgium or somewhere up there, on MVC, and it was one of the best talks I've given this year, and uh, it was so good that I put it on the ASP.NET MVC page, even though Scott Goo thought some of the jokes were off color. And it, I've gotten lots of great emails saying, "Wow, that I did not fall asleep during your talk, right? You know, which you know how this is for a technical talk. That's no small amount of praise." The The fun and the excitement and the and the the wow that was a great talk propelled me a few days, but I'm six months later now, and I'm getting compliments from the talk. Are the compliments wow the jokes were funny? No, they're not. They are I learned something. So yeah, you get an hour quick high, but I can also get six months of somebody learned. I can definitely relate to the teaching thing. It's kind of what I do with TechPub and. To a degree, with this podcast and my blog, both my parents were educators, so I suppose it's in my blood. But it also shines even more of a light on the motive. Why? 
I mean, this is a theme today, this podcast. Why do we do these things? So I asked Scott again, do you think you're famous? And if so, what role does fame play? Notoriety. Being a teacher. When the internet came around, famous didn't mean anything anymore, right? I mean, like, okay, sure. I guess to someone who's into me, I'm famous, right? But like, let me ask you this. If, if, you, if you and I are not known by anyone other than our friends and family, right? Okay. And I decide to start stalking Rob Connery. Does, does the fact that one person wants to stalk you make you famous? It does to the guy who's stalking you. No, I, I would say I am wish, respected in my field. Being the geek in class who's in the back row with his hand up going, ah, pick me, um, pick me, pick me. I mean, I'm just that guy, right? I mean, there's some amount of attention, right? Whether or not there's a psychosis underneath that 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 is being fed is secondary. But, um, you know, you, it's just like a famous person, like a really famous person, like a comedian, right? Like Dane Cook or somebody. A couple of years ago, everyone's like, who the hell is Dane Cook? And then suddenly he's like the comedian of the decade or whatever. And it's like, oh, he came out of he came out of nowhere. Well, no, he didn't, right? He worked the he worked the the crappy clubs for 15 years or whatever, right? So, you know, for every speaker in a particular field, whether it's computers or oceanography, I'm sure they were working the crappy clubs. They were talking to 15 people, and they were talking to 20, and then they did regional code camps, and then they did the big rooms or whatever. Which brings us back to John Sheehan's approach, which is to engineer things, have a plan, grow your career according to a pace and a schedule, which is just fine. You know, comedians, actually, it works out pretty well because you know, the venue dictates your paycheck and how many people you bring in. With developers, it's not so much the case, especially if you're into the education thing, as Scott is. Does not really translate? But what about being a regular developer, regular coder? If you have notoriety and fame, what does that translate into? I, I think the only thing that um, being well-respected in my field, or in Rob Connery speak, famous, uh, gets me is it makes it easier to get the interview. But it's not going to get me through the interview, and it's not going to get me through a year at that job. I've never even thought about career I've, I've thought about career management only in the basics, like what I hope to do within three to six months. But as far as, you know, I mean, I didn't even know I was going to be doing computers. I got on the ride and rode it to this point. But as far as like, did I sit down and like, yes, Pinky, we're going to make a master plan to take over the world. No, I mean, absolutely not. Uh, I went to a community college and uh, now I'm here. Well, as Winnie the Pooh once said, some can, some can't, some do, some don't. Which I suppose means some need a plan, some don't. Which makes perfect sense if you're going camping for the weekend. But what about wanting to be famous? That's what I asked Scott next. What do you think about people who are trying to put together a plan 
to become famous like you? I would think that they should ask themselves, where do they think I am? In the sense of, am I sitting on a big pile of money? Uh, am I uh, sitting on a big pile of stock? Am I sitting in a Ferrari? Or am I sitting in a happy marriage with two healthy kids and, uh, you know, and a, and a lovely place to live uh, with heat and running water? Um, am I sitting at in the middle of a 20-year career with a couple of hundred thousand people pr- presumably positively touched by my influence? What does that mean to further your career? Does that mean to get a pile of money? Does that mean to accomplish something, like whether it be get an MBA or a PhD? Or does that mean to touch a certain number of humans in a positive way, right? If you're a teacher and you're at the end of a career, I think the thing that every teacher will say is that they'll, they'll meet that student years later and say, wow, you really changed my life. Those, that's what I want. But like when people say, I'm trying to further my career, like the sense of accomplishment, does your sense of accomplishment come from how you touch other people's lives? Or does it come from something you actually did? Some people want to build and then point to the building and say, I built that. Or you want to help people and then point to that person and say, I built that. Scott Hanselman has a blog up at Hanselman.com. Many thanks for his time today on this podcast. This podcast was brought to you today by TechPub, purveyors of fine screencasts. If you want to know more about things like Sinatra, Ruby on Rails, ASP.NET MVC, Entity Framework, Threading, iPhone development, Android development, just about any screencast you can think of, head over to TechPub, expand your career, get paid more, be super cool. My name is Rob Connery, and this has been the second edition of This Developer's Life. Thank you so much for listening.